0: Well, here's an interesting question. How many people will cry at your funeral? The answer, according to the entrepreneurial, is uh, 10 people. 10 people is the average. To that, Darren Hardy, the, the writer for Success Magazine, said, I was floored by the study. You mean I can work all my life trying to please others, and in the end, only 10 people will care enough to cry? That realization was all it took for me to stop caring about others were thinking about me, and worrying about rejection. To that same study, John Ortberg writes, who won't be crying, your critics, those who ask for favors, but you never hear from otherwise, people whose approval I seek to gain, but who always withhold it, people I think could make me feel important if I could just get them to notice me, people who use others, people I am afraid of, And lastly, all the people in the little jury box of my mind whose opinion of me matters so much, but who are not thinking about me at all because they're wondering what other people are thinking about them. We're going to look at some principles today, uh, things to talk about for spiritual growth, your own personal growth, as well as looking at some things about this idea, again, of being fearful of what other people think, holding us back from living the life that we should. James In chapter 1, verse 22 from the Message Translation says this, Don't fool yourself into thinking you are listening when you are anything but. You are letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Each week, as we talk about it, it's so important not just to be somebody that hears or listens or learns but somebody who follows in obedience the commands of Scripture to live their life like Jesus. Not somebody that just listens, but somebody who acts on what they hear. A couple of weeks ago, I shared some things about a a study from Open Door. Let me share a little bit more about that. Again, hopefully to compel us to live our lives, not just as those learning, listening, but those who actually live the life of Christ. Don't let your light be hidden under a bushel. Why? Again, Open Door shared a few weeks ago about the 12 most dangerous places to live if you're a believer. Well, here's some more about that study from Open Door World Watch. Every day, eight Christians are killed for their faith. Every day, 23 are tortured. Every week, 182 churches are attacked or destroyed. 102 Christian homes and businesses are burned. Every month, 309 Christians are imprisoned for their faith. Imagine this in North Korea alone, 75,000 believers are in prison for their faith. And again, it's to remember people around the world, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to remember them in prayer, and also to see tremendous blessings we have and take gratitude in that and let examples from other people struggling through these persecutions compel us to live our faith more openly, more clearly. And more obediently, North Korea, the the most persecution in the world. Why? Because Kim, the the leader there, wants to be worshipped as a god. Anybody that claims to believe in Christ, he says that's treason. Second most persecuted place, Afghanistan. Over 90% of the top persecuted places for Christians, they are Muslim-majority. So again, we can stop and look at the things that we have and say what a blessing it is to live in our country, but also remember other people and the challenges they face and again, be compelled to live our life more in obedience to Christ, knowing the tremendous cost he paid and other people pay for their faith. Rick Gillespie said it well. Many of you are here today incredibly gifted. You're bright. You're intelligent. You've got great people skills. You're good at what you do but you've rejected the promised land God has for your life. You sincerely believe that you really don't need the Lord in your life. I can guarantee you there will be a day you will thoroughly regret that choice. You are nowhere near as in control of your life as you think you are. So let us not just be hearers, but let us be those who take action, follow after Christ, living according to what he calls us to do. This man on the screen, Bertoldo Giovanni, 1400s, he was the teacher of Michelangelo. He had a great quote, and he recognized Michelangelo's genius when he was just a a child. Became his mentor. One day, Michelangelo, about 14, Giovanni walked in and saw him working on on a simple piece of art. And Giovanni took the art and he smashed it. And he told him he should not be wasting his time on doing something he could complete in his sleep. He needed to challenge himself to work on much more difficult sculptures and paintings. And then he said, Michelangelo, talent is cheap. Dedication is costly. Talent is cheap. Dedication is costly. Anybody can give Slight effort or no effort, or just simply sit in a pew on Sunday morning and, and take nothing from that for their life. Dedication is costly. And for some believers, it costs them their freedom, it costs them their life. In our culture, people are held back, their fear of what other people think. May we stand boldly in our faith in Christ and follow truly wherever He leads, because as we'll see here in a moment, maybe some of the things in culture that are happening are not there by accident, and we'll take a look at that in just a moment. John Ramirez was a a former Satanist who's now a believer in Christ, and he has a a very dark past, and you can read his story, listen to his testimony, was into real violence, real crime, and, and dark occult practices. He became a believer in Christ, and he shared about that moment, I knew then Jesus is Lord, and I bent my knee to the cross, and Jesus came into my life. I love this. He said, I took a white piece of paper and I wrote down, I am a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ. I will serve you all the days of my life. Now he travels around the the country, around the world and shares as a believer in Christ about what takes place in occult practices and his experience there. And what either stops that or allows that darkness to continue. And he writes to churches and cities and neighborhoods. Here's his words about places where that darkness reigned. He said this. I was able to go in there and capitalize and take a stand and a position spiritually against the Christians because they were not praying. I owned your neighbor. I owned your neighborhood. I owned your region because you didn't saturate it with prayers. I beat you to it. He said there were other places, though where he knew he was not going to have that victory. And he says to that place, for our own understanding, to those believers, to that group, to the intercessors, when I came into the neighborhood and they were praying together in unity, for me, no mission accomplished. Mission aborted, it weakened my assignment and there was no mission accomplished because they knew something, they had the spiritual authority in that neighborhood I did not have. Again, don't fool yourself, James says, into thinking you're a listener when you let the word go in one ear out the other. Act on what you hear. Let me show you just a, an incredible example of that. This is Caitlin Pinkleton. I'll read her words and a wonderful quote. She's somebody that went through tremendous valleys, tremendous pain, just ultimate hurt. And out of the darkness, you'll see her experience. She would share, like any child, I was curious, playful, eager to explore the world around me. I was unaware of the approaching storm. My father had an affair and left my mother. They divorced. I was two. My father never tried to get in touch. I tried once by sending him a Father's Day card. He sent it back unopened. I was seven years old. Her mom went into depression, became an addict, invited men into the house she should not have invited. One of those men took captive, Caitlin, did uh, unspeakable things to her. She was eventually you know, rescued from this guy. He was put in prison, but those scars were deep. Her mom went into depression. Her mom became an addict. They would move. She would share 34 times before she would graduate high school. It wasn't long before Caitlin became an addict. She and her mom became physically violent with each other. Caitlin grew up, had a number of affairs. She lost her health. People kept inviting her to church. One day she went with a new boyfriend. He didn't want to be there, so he left. She would share, though, that being there made a difference like no other. And she would write, I gave my life to Christ. I felt forgiven, washed, cleaned, loved. The father of the fatherless was there for me, healing me, taking my depression, isolation, my fear, my hurts, everything, and replacing them with his peace. She went to therapy for some time until her counselor finally told her, you don't need therapy anymore. You need to volunteer to help other people. And so she did that. And she started to help other people that had been abused, other addicts recovering. And she shares, I tell people, if you ask Christ, he will heal you. He'll give you back your life. And this line sort of her motto, and it's a beautiful statement. Your scars will turn into warrior stripes. And God will make you a blessing to someone. So let's look at how some scars can become warrior stripes. And we can be that blessing because we don't simply hear. We take action on what we hear. To see the need for that, along with the persecution we saw a moment ago around the world, here's something about our own culture. I'm going to show you a list here in a moment. We have copies from the early 1900s. So now it's been around, you know, for for decades, you know, almost a hundred years and there's debate and I don't have the answer. I invite you to study this. Some people think the list was put together by sinister people for other sinister people to put into practice. Others think it was put together by some people that had prophetic insight to be a warning. If you see these things, you need to pay attention to see what's taking place. But again, is anything simply by accident Here's the list, how to weaken a nation. Troy Anderson wrote about this and you can study more about it, but here's the list and and see if this maybe sounds a little familiar. How to weaken a nation. Number one, create continual racial conflict. Two, create continual cultural change to foster confusion. Three, teach sex and homosexuality to children. Four, undermine schools and teachers' authority. Five, promote excessive drinking. Six, destroy Christianity by the emptying of churches. Seven, control and dumb down the media. Eight, encourage the breakdown of the family. For instance, in endless television shows and movies, portray the father as weak and incompetent. And number nine, burden the people with excessive debt. Does any of this look, very familiar. That's why it's written in several places. For example, in 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. That word world means the worldly system, the worldly way of thinking, the selfish way, the sinful way. And John goes on to say, if anyone loves the world, that worldly system, the love of the Father is not in him. You see, we're called to be different as Jesus called us to be. And, you know, when he was preaching, he turned everything upside down. When he said things like, you know what you do with your enemies? You love them. You know what you do for people that persecute you? You pray for them. If you want to be first, then be the last. If you want to be the greatest, then be the servant of all. And if you have power and authority, never use it to lord it over people. Rather become... The servant of all men. You see, there's the world's way of thinking and there's Christ's way of thinking. And as we hear his words, may they not go in one ear and out the other, but rather enter into our hearts that we then take action on the things that he says that we should do. Let me show you another example of this moving out of the world into the kingdom of God. Life and thinking. This is Robin from the Brooklyn Tabernacle. She would share at seven years old, her grandmother was killed during a robbery. That was her closest family member and friend, and it brought her world to an end. She said, More than that, do you know how much that man got that took my grandmother's life? Seven dollars. And so for $7, my grandmother, my light, my life was taken from me. So when she grew up, she got into heavy addiction, had multiple affairs, depression, and people would try to share with her about God. And she would very angrily say, don't talk to me about faith after what happened to my grandmother. One day though she got sick She got hepatitis Her health dropped Her body started to shut down Finally one day In desperation When she was invited to church she went Here's what she wrote about that day I went to church The people there prayed for my healing Something happened and I said I feel like I had chains on me they just fell off. I was sleeping my entire life, I just woke up. She would go on and share. after that night she gave her life to Christ, but her illness was very very difficult. And then one day she said she was in church and she smelled she felt this voice saying, you know, go up and ask for prayer, I'll heal you. She did that very thing. The next day she was scheduled for her regular blood test. She had to be checked several weeks Every several weeks for the hepatitis She went out to get prayer The next day she's got blood test We'll come back to her story in a moment We all know this verse by heart, but just a reminder, John 16, 33, these things I have spoken to you, says Jesus, that in me, you may have peace. And in this world, you may have trouble, but be of good cheer. And here's the the wonderful promise. I have overcome the world and the promise he says, because he overcame the world, then we are overcomers. We don't have to worry about rejection. We don't have to worry about opinions or even the persecutions because we know in him, We overcome all things. I love the words here. I'm sure we know them by heart. Beautiful song. Just listen, though. Because he is the life again. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you, be still. Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. We all have the challenge to not just listen but to live the faith. You know, years ago, I was in a self-defense class that was being taught by this person at the last minute. The instructor wasn't there. They gave this person the, the book to teach it. There was 100 people in the class. He didn't know what he was doing. And beyond that, I got a promotion this person wanted. He was very angry at me. And it wasn't anything that I did. We didn't even talk, but I knew he was very angry. And during the class, he didn't know what he was doing. He was looking at pictures in a book. And saying, you know, step one is this and step two is this. Very confusing. Then you have people break up into small groups. I'd been to classes, being in the Marine Corps, military police. And so I understood what he meant to say. And so our group was practicing these escape moves from, you know, hand locks, things like that. And out of the blue on the microphone, he yells out in front of everybody, Tobin, you're doing it wrong. And you could have heard a pin drop and everybody stopped and they turned and looked at me. And I looked at him, and I saw in his eyes that he was very upset. And I wanted to respond in kind, and some people said, why would you say that? Tobin's the one person doing it right. But I just said, ignore him. And people said, why did he say that? What's wrong with him? I just said, ignore him. And a few minutes went by, and we got to the next set of instructions for the class. And he was up front trying to read this book and use pictures, and he was trying to demonstrate on this other person this self-defense move. But he couldn't do it because he didn't know what he was doing. And the pictures were not complete. He was getting nervous, stuttering, sweating. And to tell you the truth, I enjoyed every moment. And then as I watched him struggling, that voice said, go up and help him. I didn't want to, but in front of 100 people, I raised my hand and I said, I think I know what you're trying to, to do. Would you like some help? And he said, please. I went up front and I and I. Showed him what the book was trying to show him about the the self-defense move. And he said, you know, thank you for doing that. As we've said before, a counseling principle is hurt people hurt people. And we need to be at a different standard to live our life differently. This is a, a fascinating story. This man on the screen, Niccolo Paganini, lived in the 1800s. He's the... Greatest violinist in history is said he could play 12 notes per second. People said he was so good. There were rumors he sold his soul to the devil. He had his own ups and downs and dark times in his life and struggles with faith as anybody does. When he died, though, J.K. Laney writes this. Paganini willed his marvelous violin to the city of Genoa, with the condition it must never be played. The wood of such an instrument, while used and handled, wears only slightly, but set aside, it begins to decay. Paganini's lovely violin began to rot and become useless, except as a relic. And here's the key, he writes, A Christian's unwillingness to serve may soon destroy his capacity for usefulness. The violin, because it was decaying from not being used, now it's taken out and played once a month, but the principle, pretty powerful, To not use what we have been given, we might lose that usefulness. So let me close here with two quick, powerful stories with the principles therein. On the screen is Jai Jing. Came to the U.S. as an exchange student. His first family, unbeknownst to him, were a family of criminals. Basically, they all went to prison, stole all his stuff. He shared he got moved to another family. They were kind. Finished school, stayed here, got married, had children, wanted to start a business, But nobody would loan him money. He was devastated. He had a dream and he couldn't get a loan anywhere. He went into depression. He had a wife, kids, needs money, and he can't find anybody that believes in him. He goes to therapy. He learns about something called rejection therapy. And the idea behind rejection therapy is when you're fearful of other people's opinions and you have low self esteem, you're going through this type of depression. Purposefully go out and ask people ridiculous favors that they'll say no to. So you get used to hearing no. So he did that very thing. So some examples. He went out, asked a stranger for $100. They said no. Went into a restaurant, asked for a free hamburger. They said no. He tried to come up with more outrageous things. So he went into a dog grooming business, asked for a haircut. They said no. Then one day he went to Krispy Kreme and he went to the counter and the clerk said, can I help you? And he said, yes, can you make me donuts in the shape of the five Olympic rings intertwined and with those same collars? And this lady behind the counter looked at him and said, give me 15 minutes. And and Jai Jing was shocked by that. And she went back and on the screen here, you'll see the donuts that she made. What happened is his story became a worldwide news because of his antics, but also because this kind person that said, I'll do whatever you need me to do if it's in my power to do it. In fact, Krispy Kreme became so, you know, favored by the story, stock went up $2. And Jai Jing learned that, you know what, the difference is made when somebody steps out from the crowd and they don't just listen and let things go in one ear and out the other. But as James says, they act on what they hear. And here's this person that said, let me help you any way that I can. Which brings us back to Robin. Christ has overcome the world. Robin shares, she went for a blood test and she writes, two days later, my doctor called me. They mixed up your blood at the lab. We need to redo it. After the second blood draw, the nurse said, what happened? I didn't know what she was talking about. The nurse took her into another room. The doctor walked in and he said, Robin, what happened? Your blood work came back normal. He explained, hepatitis leaves a permanent marker on your blood. There was no marker in mine. I told him Jesus healed me. He was quiet for a moment, and then he said, Three times I have seen something that science can't explain. I don't know what to believe, but all three times, the people involved told me the same thing you did. He has overcome the world and in him so have we.